Hello. Welcome to The Plot Thickens with me, Ellie Griffiths. You might know me as the author of the Dr. Ruth Galloway books and The Brighton Mistress. This is a podcast that takes you behind the scenes of crime writing, from what it's really like to be a published author, to the intricacies of our research, and just how we think up those killer twists. Each episode, I'm welcoming an expert guest to lift the curtain on everything you want to know about the world of crime fiction. To those of you who've read my Ruth Galloway books, there'll be lots of behind-the-scenes details on the characters, setting and history. But if you haven't come to them yet, we'll make sure to flag any spoilers, and there'll still be plenty to enjoy. This week is really exciting because I have two great friends on the podcast, William Shaw and Leslie Thompson. And for this episode, we'll be talking all about our characters, how they appeared, and how they've changed over time. William Shaw has been shortlisted for the CWA Historical Dagger and the Gold Dagger and nominated for a Barry Award. His books include the acclaimed Breen and Tozer series set in 60s London, the newest series featuring DS Alexandra Cupidy, and his latest book is a wonderful standalone thriller called Dead Rich. Leslie Thompson's first novel, A Kind of Vanishing, won the People's Book Prize in 2010. And her second novel, The Detective's Daughter, was a number one bestseller for many, many weeks and sold over 750,000 copies. Her latest book is an incredibly wonderful and creepy standalone called The Companion. Hi, this is Ellie Griffiths on The Plot Thickens. And as soon as I knew I was going to do this podcast, I knew who I wanted to have on it. Um, Two of my best friends and two brilliant crime writers, Leslie Thompson and William Shaw. And here they both are in the studio with me. And we've already been chatting nonstop. So we're just going to chat some more, I guess. So welcome, Leslie and William. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thanks for having us. Yeah, brilliant. It's so much fun to have you. So I think we've tried to give like a little um, title for each of these episodes and ours is character. So I think we might just go straight in and talk a little bit about character and how we develop characters. Because in the first episode of the podcast, I talked to my wonderful editor, Jane Wood, whom you both know. And I talked about how Ruth suddenly appeared sort of out of the mist A story that you two have heard me tell many a time. Uh, So I thought maybe you could say how your sort of main series characters um, appeared and, and, you know, how they evolved and how they appeared in your head. So, Leslie, tell us about Stella Darnell. You made me think that every novel I write seems to me to appear out of a mist. Uh, Sometimes (laughs) the mist doesn't clear for a while. But anyway, um, yeah, I think with Stella, I started off with a kind of, um, I was just kind of cerebral thought that if you were a cleaner, you got to into the darkest corners and got to sort of poke about and presumably clean them. Um, and therefore, she had the right, like a detective might have, to enter people's houses and organizations. And while well, she goes to places like Kew Gardens, for example, and um, in the course of that, she she finds bodies and solves murders. But so I think that was kind of where it started. Um, it certainly is not it's not entirely based on me in the sense that I am rubbish at cleaning. <laughs> so that, that that isn't the case. You know, I don't see a cobweb. Well, I don't see a cobweb. Full stop. <laughs> and you can't tell the smell of different cleaning things no. like, like Stella No, can. I get a headache from them, which is another reason not to clean to my own mind. Um, but as time has gone on, I have rather thought that she is quite similar to me because she loves a spreadsheet. And as you know, Dom, I love a pre- uh, Ellie. I love a spreadsheet. Yes, um, and I'm scared of spreadsheets. We might have to discuss that another time. I'm just, I just scared of them in in so many ways. But you do love a spreadsheet, so they've got that in common with Stella. So, and what about her actual physical appearance? So, do you do you know what she looks like? Do you see her in your mind's eye? I know she's tall. Um, her and her sidekick, if you like, Jack, they're both six foot. Um, so I know she's tall and she had dark hair and has dark hair, I guess. I'm, it might be going grey, but I haven't written that anywhere, so presumably it is isn't. How old is she now? Well, that's one thing that I have to keep reminding <laughs> myself because um, she was born in 1966. So 56? I think she's... How many? 56? 56, yes, I think that's right. I don't know. Maths yeah. isn't my thing, but anyhow. Yeah, well, exactly, you see, and it's yes. not, not hugely mine despite the spreadsheets. Um, and I have to remind myself of that because I can see how writers keep keep their characters at similar at a similar age. Because thinking about a character growing older, you have to think about the physicality, which is you're saying, what well, you know? Do I imagine her? Um, and I guess she's heading, if not right in the menopause, but I haven't really addressed that yet. 
Um, In my mind, she's still in her late 40s, which is where she was to start with. So kind of, yeah. Um, But otherwise, I just know she's tall with dark hair. And that really is about it, I have to say. Oh, very. I'm going to talk a bit later on about how we all see each other's characters. But William, tell us about Alex Cupidy. Well, Alex Cupidy started as a secondary character. And this is quite interesting because generally you think of a character as the sort of protagonist for your books, don't you? But I wrote a standalone called uh, The Birdwatcher. And the main character in that was this middle-aged man who was he's basically a lovely man. He's a lovely man who's been completely independent and lived life on his own without the presence of women. And and when you think of a main character, you kind of need somebody to annoy them, don't you? Yes. Do you know what I mean? You need somebody to get under their skin. And so my main character for the series was a woman called Alex Cooperty, and she arrived as the person who would most annoy William South. <laughs> uh, and and it's quite interesting how you begin to develop characters in opposition to each yes, other, isn't yeah. it? You know. So he, she was basically there because a she was a woman, and he wasn't. He's not very good at women. And b she's kind of right in your face she'll say things that are on the top of their head she's kind of ungainly in how she progresses through the world and if you're this kind of gentle well-meaning sort of person she's deeply irritating so she kind of grew out of that really and then once I'd finished that book I got all sorts of reactions about her and people didn't like her part Ooh, of because that's oh, I'm I like her yeah Me but too. they didn't like her in the birdwatcher partly because I think what she has to do which is a bit spoilery to say that but mm. she has to do something in the birdwatcher which kind of got people's backs up and I thought that was really interesting and I thought oh I'll have her she looks good she's getting under people's skin so I kind of used her from that point of view to you know develop a character um from there and it's so interesting you saying about how she developed in grew in opposition to William South because I remember you saying to me once probably one of the many times I was telling her that Ruth appeared out of the mist and you said um did Ruth lead you to Nelson and that was exactly right you know I we often say Leslie and I to our students follow the feet and I looked down to see where where Ruth was going and she was going into work and there outside her office was Nelson so there is sometimes true how how one character leads to another do you see Alex William do you know what she looks like well, <laughs> I think at various times I've, I have put descriptions on her about, you know, having mousy sort of blonde hair or things like that. But no, I don't see what she looks like. Did we have this conversation before? I think about how you don't see characters' faces. Is that right? Do you know, I always thought this was such a liability. You know, you're told so much about you should know everything of your character and what they look like. And I, time and time again, I don't know what they look like. And and with her, it was kind of like, you know, I, I put some sort of general markers down. But then when I was writing the series, I discovered I have a thing called aphantasia. Oh, tell us. And, <laughs> we, we want real, to. Let's be jealous now. <laughs> Sounds good, doesn't it? But what it means is I don't have a mind's eye. And this was oh. a complete revelation because I've written loads of books and I haven't described people well. Maybe this is because I actually don't see people. It's quite a common condition, but, you know, uh, you don't have that internal eye that people have. And, of course, you've no way of knowing that because you don't really discuss your internal eye very much. But so when I close my eyes and imagine Cupidy or or anybody, basically, I don't see them. So that I've always kind of, I mean, really realising that this is kind of now in retrospect what I do, I think I write my characters with that in mind. Do you know what I mean? I expect other people to to kind of complete the characters, you know. Yeah, but it's quite interesting because, I I mean, I remember somewhere somebody saying, who was a writer, that actually it was better not to give a very uh, detailed description of your character. Let the reader make them theirs. Yeah. Let them inhabit it. Well, uh, and like that's radio a fluke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and I certainly feel that. I'm always yeah. disappointed if, if somebody's given a really good description because I think, oh, I hope they no, I don't want them to be like that, you know. Yeah, something you that's know. too... I've always avoided giving much description but actually the crossing place starts with Ruth getting up in the morning which is the thing that you're always told you shouldn't start your book with somebody getting up in the morning it's so cliched so boring and a bit of a description of how she looks which is very rare because I did see how Ruth looked and I have her face very clearly in my mind but it isn't true of all the characters I think it's quite rare for me to you know I described her hair colour eye colours of skin um, in fact she has a lovely smile I, I've never described any character that in that much depth. So I think it is quite interesting how, because sometimes you, you you read it, like Leslie says, you read a description of a character, and think, oh, no, and clothes as well. I remember reading quite a sexy scene in a book and this somebody woman was taking off her clothes and then she gets down to her vest. <laughs> and and did, the, did the author mean vest? 
Did he mean camisole? It was a man. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was. she was in a string vest then and that ruined the whole moment. That's so. really interesting, isn't it? How it completely colonises your yeah. view of the person. I mean, I, I agree with you completely there, Leslie. I think it's great if you can tempt the reader to do the work. Not because we're lazy, but it kind of invests them in the book, doesn't it? It definitely does. And But it's interesting to think, so you, because I probably have quite an image of how Alex looks in oh, my really? mind. So what's that like then? Yeah, I see her with, with dark hair, maybe not not really short, but quite short. Um, trying to think of, a, of an actress that, that looks a bit like her. Um, and we're very sort of keen, maybe quite sharp featured. Yeah. Um, yeah. sort of keen eyes. I don't quite know what eye colour. Um, sort of, I don't know, um, trying to think of somebody who's sort of Vicky, Vicky McClure adjacent. Oh, I like that. That's quite That's nice. Sort of, oh, I'd be very happy can with you that. Vicky McClure adjacent? I just, no, I'm also, go on, go on. I'm also in terms of movements. You know, I think it's somebody who, who, take, who makes a bit of a meal of getting in and out of a car. She's a bit clumsy with her limbs, if you know what I mean. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, I totally <laughs> empathise with that. What about you, Leslie? Well, you I was just thinking about Cupidy there because I, I was thinking, one, I mean, I have quite a strong sense of her. And my sense of her is partly born, I mean, obviously I've read the books, but I've when we've done our launch events together and we have this thing of each reading each other's work yes. instead of re- reading our own work, um, it makes you look at the text very differently. And I've read, I think, probably about three or four times now, the opening chapter <laughs> of, and I'm not going to remember which one because I can never Salt remember Lane. titles. Are you thinking think of the later one? Than, where, in the loo. In the loo with Jill and that Alex. Is, that is Salt Lane. It, it is Salt Lane. Lane. Well done, you. Yeah. Ah, um, and I love that She's scene. got to go and do a press off yeah. press uh, conference thing and she's about the lipstick and, and she's having the conversation with Ferreter, Jill Ferreter. Um, I really felt I inhabited her, and but I gave her an accent which was, to my mind, based on the rhythm of your writing. Okay, um, and took her on. But if I had to think of putting a face to her, um, and we, I mean, it's that classic. You do tend to think of an actor, don't you? Because that's where we have, you know, we can pluck them out. Probably Tony Collette, if anyone knows. Oh, I love Tony Collette, and she's got the angularity that you were talking about. That would work really yeah, well. So yeah, Tony Collette in my mind also, looks a bit like Stella. Well, you see, it's funny you should say that too because it, um, you've just reminded me that when I first started to put Stella together, I started, uh, my, my initial initial inspiration was Toni Collette, oh, who wow. to my mind, you now doesn't look at all like Yes. Because she's got dark hair and she's more like uh, Thingy McClure, actually. But <laughs> Except she's, I think, I imagine Vicky McClure is not very tall, but I could be wrong. I love that scene, though, that you were talking about because um, uh, uh, Alex and Jill are getting ready for this press conference. And I think uh, Jill offers Alex some lipstick or something and says, and Alex says, I think I look fine. And Jill says... (laughs) That's the spirit. <laughs> that's right. That's but you know, line, yes. I, have to, I have to yeah. sort of give credit where it's due. That scene came from a conversation with you two and another writer called Susan Williams because I was oh, wow. I realised oh, yeah. I was writing um, a woman, a main woman character and I was going, oh, blimey. And it's interesting. I wonder if blokes have more paranoia about writing women than women sometimes do of oh. writing men's world. But you all said this very wise thing and I can't remember which one of you said. So if you were writing women together, write them away from the company of men and if they're if their dialogue is convincing at that point, we'll believe in them. So I started off with them in a women's toilet. Oh, wow. And I love to think that we were responsible yes. for that, Leslie. <laughs> yes. uh, well, we I, go to the toilet. I, I, I mean, you know, rose petals and all. <laughs> <laughs> of course not. You do write women characters really, really yeah, well. Yeah, you do. William. But nobody, nobody really picks women characters, uh, women writers up and says, oh, but you don't write men characters well. Because you, you're kind of, it's really interesting that men are challenged on this because men often get it wrong, mm. don't they? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Well, yes. But, you know, it's not like you write some fantastic male characters, but I don't think, it's, I don't think women are challenged in the same way because it's, it's sort of an easier world to get, really. I mean, one of the things I really like about um, your characters, Ellie, is, is the irritatingness of men. You know, and you do this a lot in your, in your minor characters and major characters. I mean, Nerys, Nelson can be deeply irritating. Oh, yes, can. But the way in which when you've got a female character, you can allow men to... Li- be a little bit of a niggle all the way through. Yeah, I think, thank you. I'm glad you noticed that. But yeah, sort of characters like David, you know, uh, Ruth's new colleague, who sort of, as soon as he gets in the car, says things like, oh, mind that wall over there, you know, and it's just really, and, and moves his chair back as if his legs are 100 miles long, you know, so irritating. But, but I, I like him as well. I, I really like David, you know, he's a brilliant character for that because he's got all that stuff and he really, but he's he's not just only that, is he? Do you know what I mean? Well, he, I, he's got features which redeem him. I hope so. And he comes into the new book, the uh, the last 
explains quite a lot. So I'm glad you think that. But Leslie, because you and I write, um, so you've got Stella and Jack and Ruth and Nelson. So we write sort of male characters a lot as well. And I always find that quite interesting because people talk about the Ruth books to me as if they're only narrated by Ruth. You know, and actually I always do to do this. I always do like a word count for how many times the name comes up. And, and obviously Ruth is the name that comes up most in the books. But Nelson's a really close second. I would say they're almost 50-50 point of view. Uh, but people don't often sort of say that and say, well, how, how, you know, how do you, do you write as a man? But tell us about Jack. Um, well, Jack, um, initially he, he joined the series um, and... Uh, you know, thinking of David, for an example, if you have a new character and into, enter into a crime novel, the reader is immediately going to think there's something sinister about them. Um, obviously, when they've been in the novel several several novels along, then then that that goes, so the jeopardy bit and all that. But when uh, Jack arrives in The Detective's Daughter, he's he's a threat. Um, but he's, I mean, I based, I, I'm, I'm clearer about how I came came about him. Um, it was listening on the uh, news, driving home one time from work, and heard about the terrible murder of Rachel Nickell on Wimbledon Common, and a little boy, her little boy, had been found with, with I think, the dog. And as, as I often do with these things, I thought, well, what would happen to that little boy when he grows up? And actually, he now has grown up and written a book, as it turns out. But I just then I wanted to imagine a, a character who'd had that background and how that would affect their whole life and, uh, their, and the trauma they would feel. And so I came up with a character whose father's an engineer, a civil engineer, designs bridges and tunnels. Jack doesn't become a civil engineer, but he loves bridges and tunnels, particularly tunnels. So he's an underground train driver on the late dead late shift of the district <laughs> line. I love the fact there was a dead late shift. I think now they run through the night, so you haven't got that. But uh, So he spends most of his time in the darkness alone, but he's doing a legitimate, useful job. So, um, But he's he's not everyone's cup of tea in terms of he's, you know, um, perhaps if you met him, you might think he was creepy, but then he, people become very fond of him. Readers have told me this, which is lovely. So... But they are chalk and cheese, and that was a deliberate thing. I wanted, he's much more intuitive. He's also fanciful, so he has voices in subways, I mean subway tunnels, um, and imagines the lives that have been before. He he reads signs in number plates uh, <laughs> and makes, you know, th and dictates his day because of that. And, and as I've said, you know, Stella likes a spreadsheet. She's a woman of action. She likes hard facts. But over the series, the two of them are slightly melded and come, each of them has got yeah, a bit of have. somebody of the other. I was going to ask about that, how sort of characters develop. And it's true that Jack at first, because he gets into people's houses and he does these things that are a little bit creepy at first, aren't they? But I think, well, I think, oh, is it that or is it just that we're so used to him now? Because now he seems a very 100% lovable character to me. Well, I think it's funny because I'm, you know, thinking um, we both teach crime fiction and what I teach The Crossing Places a lot. So I've read it a lot of times. Well, I've read most of your books. You've read more it more than, once, than me. But, yeah. Yeah, it probably is more than you. And I have forgotten um, that Cathbad first you know, comes across, or Kate, not Kate, sorry, Ruth, she comes across him first because he's in her kitchen. Yes. And she lives in a cottage in the middle of flipping nowhere. And then she comes across a man. I don't think, I think he might have been wearing a cloak. But even if he wasn't, that wouldn't really make <laughs> It's not going to be the defining factor, is it? Um, and I felt a frisson of fear when I read it. Mm. Again, by this time, knowing Cathbad well, having read all the other books. Um, so it's quite interesting to see how we introduce these characters and then slowly we if you like, tame them, I guess. Yes, or maybe it's just that we get used to them. Interest I should just say, because I forgot to say at the top of this episode, that we've got some reader questions, which we're going to answer at the end. So if you've sent us in a question, listen out, because you might get it answered at the end. So just sort of talking about serious characters, William, did you know that Alex, well, you didn't because Alex was a secondary character at first, but as soon as she got a book to herself, did you think, oh, you know, there, there's potential here for her to carrier series i suppose so. i always live in fear that i've created something that i can't do you know can't oh. carry on do you know what i mean that <laughs> oh my god is this it and then you you carry on chipping away at it and then think oh phew something's come out of that um but i think it's almost the opposite it's about not knowing rather than knowing in a weird way i think the the the, the sort of key to a series is 
to not know everything, which is really fortunate for me because I barely know anything. When you know, I mean, I kind of go there thinking, should I know more about these people? But actually, that leaves you leaves you the scope, doesn't it? Yes. You know, if you know everything about your characters and you know everything about their arc right at the beginning, I'm not sure. Well, you do get these sort of people who know the complete arc of their series, but I think that's quite rare. I think we write into space in a weird way, don't we? And I think it's quite it's about the not knowing rather than the knowing. I think that's right. And in, in another um, episode, I, I've chatted to Mick Heron, and he had a good phrase for it. He says it's writing organically. And I'm going to go for that in a big way. But it's not knowing what's going to happen. But one of my favourite characters in, in the, the Alex Cupidy books, William, is, is Alex's daughter, Zoe. And I think she's terrific. She's such a good... She's How old is she? Is she a teenager when we she's, first meet her? She's a teen. She's just... She's a sort of 13 when we first meet her. She's, you know... Uh, n- 17 now so the years have got slightly compressed H- have they so is she not <laughs> aged in as quickly I as... like her as a teenager oh, I'm really really hung, hanging to on to a teenagerness because you know as a she's you know the success of her as a character and again it's sort of like been a revelation to me as much as, as much as anybody is that she's just absolute grit in the in the storyline she always says the wrong thing or, or the most irritating thing or is awkward or a worry which is what teenagers are aren't they and so I, i'm really i don't want her to become more rational oh that's and, and well, she, she rebels she rebels by being a she rebels by being a bird watcher i know isn't that which, lovely which i just love which, which but... is it's like it's what is going to irritate parents most and obviously you know if you're a police officer you kind of understand your child's ready to become delinquent and start hanging around shopping centres so she doesn't no that's fantastic and but isn't that interesting about letting letting her grow up you know and how because uh, because our characters do age in real time don't they and I kind of feel that a bit with Ruth's daughter Kate because she is 12 now so she's nearly and has she stuck with the years have she you? has yeah. I have been very um, that's brilliant I, I've been very good in, in sticking to, to real time but I spoke to somebody yesterday and she said to me I went to uh, visit a, a local school to me and uh, one of the teachers said oh don't let don't let Ruth and Nelson grow old and I thought well I'm just gonna gonna have to really. It's like Leslie says about realizing that uh, Stella's in the menopause, and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. people yeah. are aging, aren't they? Yeah, I and think it's a, a tricky one. I was thinking of Sue Grafton while you were talking that because I don't know, I can't remember when she did. I've always been a massive fan of hers and read all of them, um, but certainly the last few, maybe ten, she was that was six months between each book. I, I mean, in time, yes. obviously. Um, so um, Kinsey doesn't. She's still in the 80s because of that. Oh, right. Um, and so she hasn't got all the usual accoutrements. But um, I don't know if she did that to start with. Isn't that weird that we feel this duty to have that bit of realism in it? Because, you know, that wasn't... I mean, you've just written the, the you know, Agatha Christie short story. That wasn't the world then. The world didn't change. No. The character stayed the same. And yet mm. we, we're kind of really beholden to, to reality at that point. I don't, yes, I don't think Miss Marple ages. I think she's kind of ancient in the first book, in Murder at the Vicarage, and still ancient in, in Sleeping Murder. And didn't, didn't Rankin really realise that it was a mistake starting Rebus the age he did? Yes, he did. I yeah. think but that's he was saved a... by the retirement um, rules, wasn't he? Yes. To some extent. And that, that's an issue, isn't it? Because Nelson's coming up to the age where, where he once would have had to retire, but now mm. they've changed that rule again. So you're sort of... It is an issue, isn't it? It's funny how we feel sort of hide bound to stick to real time even though we don't stick to real anything else isn't it you know, yeah i mean yeah, we're, we're, obviously the amount of murders people we've killed would would probably be quite shocking in you know if the norfolk murder rate was anything like yes, in the Ruth Galloway true. books, we'd be in trouble and the number of murders your average archaeologist or or cleaner gets involved with are really quite small actually aren't they in real life i think we we have in our defense you know we we've built in plausibility though because ruth is a bones expert so she's going to get people coming to her yeah. Obviously, Cupid is a police officer, so it's less unlikely. And Dungeness, I just sound sorry, Dungeness, but I can just imagine all that whole area. It, bodies kind of would appear, a bit like Norfolk in the same sense. Then again, a bit like Hammersmith, so what am I to say? Um, <laughs> which is where some of my books are set. But um, yeah, I think that, um, it, it, you know, you've got. If people had, I mean, now Stella cleans crime scenes, so that gives her a bit more. Yes, but if you've yes. got somebody who's asked to do quite a wide range of things, but it, it in some way does involve their job, or people come to them specifically, we get away with it. It's not quite the classic Midsummer mi- Murders. Uh, Midsummer Murders, yes, where, you know, the, every fate there's a murder. 
which is always, I think, his wife, but that's her. <laughs> yes. Well, it's like Miss Marple, really. She's, she's on, the, on the ground for a lot of murders. You know, you have to say that's a little bit suspicious. But... Well, our characters are psychologically plausible, aren't they? Yes. I think that's really and I think that yeah. means we have to be um, adhere to time to some extent because you, you change and grow with time, obviously, because time is, time is here. She's going to have to be 19. You're in going next to have to yes, let Zoe grow is. up. But, yes. but it's very interesting to have her 19, wouldn't it? Yes, it, it will Making be. Making those choices. I, yeah. It will be. It will be. <laughs> I said with a heavy heart. Yes, yes I, I do. I can completely understand why you don't want that to happen. But sometimes, do you get this where you think the thing, oh, is it Cesare Pavese said, the thing we fear in secret always happens. And sometimes I think the one thing you don't want to happen maybe is the thing you have to make happen. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. I think that's the thing. Is And, and there will be some reason. There will be. It'll produce something in the story, won't it? It will. That you haven't really considered. Because we've got, you know, you, the main thing for series writers is you mustn't stop. You've got to f- find ways in which you do something similar without repeating yourself, in which you find continually new wrinkles for your characters, new challenges, new things to do. Mm. I suppose ageing's part of that. Yeah, I think it probably is, isn't it? But well, I, I also saw Zoe quite, I mean, I'm an only child and... I really imagined, and a daughter, obviously, and really imagined what it must be like to move to a completely new area, especially in the middle of nowhere compared to where she did live. And uh, I was a, I was an absolute pain as a child. I was my poor. I mean, I had pet both parents, but I mean, really, my <laughs> poor mother. I, I feel for her these days when I'm older. I think, oh my God, what did I put my mother through? Um, so I really relate to her, um, and so I would like to see her grow up for that reason, because uh, you know it's not she's not Peter Pan, and she is a great character. I mean, you've got the sort of circle which you sort of close because William and you know is you know I'm not giving anything away, but they are, he is annoyed by Cupidy, as you say, but has a great relationship with Zoe. Oh, yeah, 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 which is fantastic. And and uh, you know that's the th- that's the thing, isn't it? Children do have peculiar relationships with people and can unlock interesting things in them. The characters that that both use. I mean, when, when you mentioned Jack, one of the things I always think of Jack as this this it's, it's his mysterious side that I love because he's got a side of the world which doesn't it isn't you and it doesn't feel like you know anyone in this room. You know, he can see stuff. And and also with Cathbad, you know this this mysterious life. And I'm quite jealous of the way you both managed to write these characters that that have this really intense kind of almost spiritual world because that's quite hard to handle, isn't it? Because you can make anything up at that point. You can you, you can overuse that side of them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. If, if they can see things, maybe they can. You know, you can really abuse them as a character. And how do you keep control over them when characters are, are kind of we'll like on a slightly Cathbad, different level? <laughs> yeah, it's a really good point actually. And I don't know. I was interested to hear what Leslie has to say because I find Cathbad quite hard to write as a as a point of view character right because i think in order to write in someone's point of view you have to totally be in their head don't you and see the world through their eyes and he has such a particular way of seeing the world he's a druid he has certain beliefs that maybe aren't my beliefs so it's quite hard to, to and you have to take that totally seriously when you're writing about him there can be a tiny element of oh look at Cathbud in his cloak again, you know, not laughing at him, but slightly, you know, sort of affectionately sort of smiling. But when you're him, obviously you take that totally seriously. So I find it quite hard to write him in a way. But also the other thing is, I think, um, with Cathbud, I'm pretty sure with Jack too, that that the sort of slightly spiritual, slightly supernatural side is there, but it's never the solution. To the to the crime, I think that's maybe it. Do you agree, Leslie? Yes, I mean we're not we we are faithful all of us, aren't we, to our genre? If you like, um, people aren't expecting ghosts, so they don't get ghosts. But one of the characters can believe in ghosts, and one of them doesn't believe in ghosts, and you can take your pick if you like. Um, I think it's quite funny you said it's not not like anyone in this room because actually I, I belatedly realised I was quite like Jack. Oh really? Oh. <laughs> um, I mean. I am completely obsessed with number plates without realising it. But, you know, I have been driving with you in the car and you've said, look at that number plate and you've become sort of obsessed with the number plate in front. Oh, you haven't? I, I know I have. Oh, you have? I, I was going to say, I'm sure you have. Yes, no, I have. You've infected, Ellie. And, and oh. I don't notice anything with numbers in. Obviously, Nobody I, I know does. Number you know. blindness. What so, about uh, that car that said so-and-so? What? I didn't see the car. Or, Never mind the number plate. Or street you know. furniture, I've noticed since knowing you. Yes. I mean, I, I will, you know, I can tell you that, you know, like a drain cover, Clark Drain, for example. I thought that was quite a good name for a superhero, actually. <laughs> um, and I can remember going to get my... Have, have, I always call it getting my ears waxed. It's not called that. It's when you have it syringed. It's the opposite. Um, oh, yes. Having, uh, leaving work early and driving home to get to go to the doctor in the days when you could go to the doctor and have for free your ears waxed, as it were. <laughs> Unwaxed. Um, yes. <laughs> and I was driving along and the car in front, the number plate was ear. 
and then the numbers, oh. E-A-R, and I thought, yep, you see, you see. Are you not tempted just to follow that car, though, wherever it's going? Well, I would. I had an appointment. I wasn't going to miss it because <laughs> I was just, couldn't hear. But yes, no, I mean, there is, I haven't actually done that, but I, I, I'm really fascinated by stories like the man who wasn't there, and I've forgotten this moment who is written by, but somebody just... Um, gratuitously sitting in a cafe seeing somebody and then following them I, I love that I mean it's creepy to say the least I have had characters do that and of course Jack does that um, but I haven't done it myself uh, Barbara Pym the writer did do it and quite frankly you just think ah terribly mm. scary, you and know. there's a brilliant Monica, I'm a big Monica Dickens fan there's a really good Monica Dickens novel called Man Overboard where he goes on the same train journey and sees this house and one day just gets off the train and goes to the house and, and gets to know the people so it's quite a... So I can understand the temptation. I can, but I just realised that, you know, we are storytellers and I realised that I would be that person. I would be the person who had done that. And I'd have to tell like you two, for example. <laughs> and you'd never look at me quite the same. <laughs> no. So I, it's not possible. Social pressure is too great. So you're great. saying, Leslie, that you're a bit like Jack, which I hadn't seen, but because in my head, when I think of Stella, she's tall... Um, oh, side note, uh, I learned from Kate Moss recently that Miss Marple was tall. Who knew that? Yeah, who, who knew, knew that? that? Except I mean, for Joan, well, I imagine Joan Hicks. Joan Hicks is quite small, isn't she? Well, I imagine her terribly tall, but she probably oh. is small. It's one but of I those things, isn't it? I was thinking that I see um, Stella as tall because you're tall. Well, you're taller than me. And blonde because you're blonde. So, well, I once you know. was, let's be honest. But so do people, <laughs> do people say to you, are you Stella? And do you say to them, well, I'm more Jack or... No, I don't say that. either if I can help it because also it's quite a slow process of recognition. And I, I remember saying to my partner, oh, I think I'm quite like Jack. And there was this, yes. <laughs> it's like you realise everybody's come to that conclusion before you. Um, I tend not to say that I'm like Stella, apart from the spreadsheets, obviously, because of the cleaning. That's such a big, you know, she would come into this room and she would spot a cobweb even though there isn't one. Or I think there isn't one. She would see it. I'm not... Um, and I couldn't run a cleaning company. The stress would kill me, all the management of people and the cleaning. Um, so I think she really, I don't know if she's the antithesis of me. Oh. I think there might be something in that. That's interesting, isn't it? Because William, cause, because Alex is a woman, people don't say, is she you no, or do they, they say, they is she you? No, they don't. In fact, what, I'd written two male characters. I'd written a male character before this, a guy called Cahill Breen. And they, I realised that he was quite like me and William South was quite like me. So it's actually very liberating well, writing a woman. Well, William's got your name. Well, he has. Yes, let's yeah. discuss did, that. Did you, let's discuss that. Well, he, he's got my name because I wanted to signify his background's from Northern Ireland and, and Northern Ireland Protestant, and so's mine. Oh, you know, okay. And William's a real class one Northern Ireland William of name. Orange. William of Orange. Scottish. Yes. And so I kind of, you know, it was big in my family because of that. You know, whenever I meet an Irish Protestant relation, oh, William, yeah, yeah, you know, you're one of us kind of thing. And it's like such a big signifier in that sort of community. Oh. So I kind of used it for that because I'd had it sort of sent back to me before. So that's, it's coincidental in that. But he is, he is you know, he's he's a sort of middle-aged, ineffectual man. And, you know, I can do that. <laughs> you know. But when I write women, you see, I have to think, I think I have to think a bit harder. And I think that allows me to make them somebody else. So I'm quite liking that whole thing of writing women characters. Cathal Breen is, is in Williams. I'm, I'm always slightly teasing William about the fact that he wrote a trilogy of four books. But <laughs> the, 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 the four Breen and Tozer books, which are set in, in the 60s, are absolutely brilliant if you haven't come across them. And, and Helen Tozer, again, who is the, 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 the woman in, in the books, um, she's a terrific character. Another, another one, you know, where did she come from? Again, it's what's going to irritate Cathal Breen most. Yes, and he's a she's sort a of, mini-skirted she, 60s He's, he's woman. a 30-year-old man in the 60s. And if you're a 30-year-old man in, in the late 60s, you were still somewhere in the 1950s. Yes. You know? And so suddenly along comes this person who really gets the late 60s and she's a miniskirt, she loves the Beatles and he just finds that deeply, deeply, deeply irritating. And she's got this, you know, feminism kind of hasn't arrived there, but she's a kind of proto-feminist and pushing back continually. Yes. And I think that's just a lot of fun. I, and I thought it was so clever of you to have uh, have a main character in, in Cathol who is in the 60s, but is not really because not... Not everyone's swung in the 60s, did no. they? Depends but, where you lived. and. But I also know. think that's really crucial for any historical drama. You suddenly realise, God, the 60s is historical. Because if you actually want to write a realist novel in the 60s, men were pretty vile in the 60s yeah. still. Even, you know, men we knew around that time had attitudes that are not acceptable to us now. Mm, totally. And therefore you need a character who's going to be above that. So he's his outsiderness allows him to sit above well, some yes. of the sort of racism that goes, you know, he's an Irish immigrant. He can see what's going on yes. in other and things. And the sort of that, sexism yeah. and, and the police. So I think it's quite, you know, because in, in historical drama, you kind of need a time traveller, don't you? Yes. You kind of need somebody who's going to interpret for our time. And they've got to have some dysfunction that allows 
allows them to be slightly separate. And you are picking up on the on that cuspal state because you know the sixties is described as swinging sixties, and it but it mostly was for the middle classes, um, and it. A lot of that was in London. I mean, you know, places like Devon were in the 50s still, even though it was, was the swinging 60s. Was that where you were brought up, I was brought up in Devon, which was probably late 40s. And well, there we are. Yeah. Hey, I'm being nice. Yeah. <laughs> I also like the word cuspel. I've never heard that no, word before. No, I That's love cuspel. Yes. Straight down. Write that like down, yeah. Sounds a bit like a medical condition, but yeah. Um, and I just think that works very well because, you know, you. I mean, I certainly, my parents weren't swinging 60s. They were working hard, you know, yeah. to, to make a living, etc. And um, But I did know... Uh, I had did have friends whose parents were kind of in that sort of world, and it was very different. That sort of flared corduroy look and all the rest, and it was it not. Um, it's not something that you know really means a lot to everybody. And I, I, what I love about it is you bring that reality to us as well. So because you read stuff about the swinging sixties, no, that wasn't like it. It wasn't like that for me. I was well, we were young, weren't we? But you know, you bring that reality, so you open up that. But Thank I just you. want to go Thank back you. to the name thing because we've never discussed this, have we? Really? Yes, names. Yes. How did you manage to? Did you have to have a placeholder for William all the way through? You know, like Derek or something. No, he was William all the way through. You, you could do it. Could yeah, you? I didn't. I didn't. I didn't get confused with me. Well, once, but I can't I am, stand that because the William yeah. in your book is not you. Yeah, I mean, well, it isn't. But I mean, that's yeah. your, down yeah. to you, isn't it? I don't it think was, I could write Leslie. In, in, oh, that's interesting. It's, not such it's a, common a very name. common name, William. Though. You well, know. yeah. You see, my yeah. father was William, and when I oh, tried to do sort of go back in ancestry. I mean, I'm easily yeah. confused like this. And every single relative was going right back. They're all William Thompson's going yes, back as yes. far as you went. So I got very lost track of who my grandfather was and all that Presbyterian And I think if you uh, have Scottish, a but... more common name in, in the nicest sense, because my real name, as I'm sure people out there will know, is Domenica. And this is why you've heard a few Doms here as uh, <laughs> Leslie William called me Dom. But having such an unusual name... I I'm very disturbed if I meet another Domenica. I've never met another Domenica in life, but I think they I think in Alexander McCall Smith there's a Domenica, and I find it upsetting and really disconcerting and to, to the extent that I actually am genuinely upset by it. So I couldn't write a Domenica. That's because interesting. Because it is so Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would but, it would really disturb you. Yeah, it would really it? disturb right. me. It's such a strange thing, but of course, you know, now I'm quite often known as Ellie and I could easily write about an Ellie. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. But you couldn't write a Leslie. No, Leslie. I couldn't. I mean, when I, I, it's not that common these days. I was at school with Leslie's. In fact, my first school, I was at school with a Leslie Thompson, and that was pretty disturbing, really. Wow. Oh, yeah. So I had to be called Leslie Jean. I've just told everybody my middle name like they care, um, which was horrible because that wasn't me. I sounded like something out of the Waltons, not that they existed. Leslie Jean? Leslie Jean. Um, I don't know. I'm Australian there when I was. Well, I see. I, so did I. <laughs> but, um, but I always feel a certain kinship if I come across a Leslie. I sort of think, oh, hi, you know. And Twiggy was actually Leslie in real life, so that's rather nice. I yes. quite like that. But otherwise, if, if I had a Leslie in my novel, I couldn't do it. I'd come to a complete halt. Hence, I'd have to call them something else and then do a find and replace afterwards. If I, but I wouldn't because there's no point. But I, I get the. I just think hats off, actually, really, that you could. And William Self, isn't it? South. South. Oh, South. Yeah, I was going to say, I never noticed that before. South, isn't it? Oh, yeah. that's all right. Yeah. William Self would but be But actually, really... when I first read The Bird Watcher, which is an absolutely terrific book, yeah, it, I, it took me a long time before I thought, William, like William. Right. So, so you, didn't, you, 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 didn't, you, you uh, yeah. didn't. I think, think that, that is really. something to do with the commonness of the name. I mean, I think some of you. I mean, like, how did you choose Michelle though? Because you know, Michelle is one of those names that fits Michelle for some reason. Do you know what I mean? I think Michelle is just a perfect name for the character, and I think I think she's one of the most underrated characters in the book. I books. love Michelle. You know, oh, thank you. I have I'm to so say, glad I don't you... mean underrated, but she's such a great character. She's developed well, she's also... so well, and she's a great tragic character in lots of ways. I'm so glad you like Michelle, and I did make a decision quite early on that Michelle, who's, who's Nelson's wife. Um, would it wouldn't be um you know I, I hoped you know she she I hoped I would never do this but you know she wouldn't be the sort of cliched uh, she she's very good looking but she wouldn't be the sort of cliched trophy wife woman that she would have her own um in in her own way she's very strong and very tough and um you know has has had quite tragic things happen to her where did the name come from uh, i had a childminder when my children were young who were called Michelle it was called Michelle and was blonde but I've only just thought of that for this moment I think otherwise not very much like Michelle but maybe that's where the name came from and I thought it might be so Leslie and I do this thing with our students um, sometimes where we get them to um, tell us their name which is a good way of us remembering their names and say why they're called it 
And that's always a really good thing because it gives you then and then we say to them, well, a name is instant backstory. So, you know, I'm Domenico, which means Sunday in Italian, youngest of three daughters. I think my parents had run out of names. And so they named me after the day, you know. Do you ever go through a book and use the exchange find thing at the last minute and realise at the end of the book that you've named the character the wrong thing? Oh, yes, definitely. Ah, And I had a character in the night talks called Neil Topham (laughs) and the book came out. And, you know, it's wonderful these days because people these days, because people read a book and then then they contact you quite quickly. So so it's like the day after it was out, people were saying to me, so is the Neil Topham in the night talks any relation to the Neil Topham in um, a a room room full of bones? And I was like, no. Oh, it's just because he's got exactly the same name. So he's now, um, I think he's uh, something, at Neil. T- I think he might be Neil, Tom- Neil Thomas now. So if you've got a Neil Topham book, it's a, it's a, it's a great design. It's worth a fortune. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, have, you, have you done that? Have you used the same name? Well, I'm just, uh, I'm just at the very end of a draft and I'm about to change all the names, which is going to be very good. I just, I just realised that none of them fit. And it's wow. really weird. And it, the psychological idea that you think they don't fit is quite weird. And it, it? Yes, yes, isn't when it? you change yes. them, you see them in such a different way. I wrote a whole book which was never published where the character's main character was called Jessica. And then I changed her name to Sid. And it changed everything. As in Sid Charisse. Yes, I had I had a Sid, which actually got unchanged because I thought it didn't quite work. But it's a great name, isn't it? I'd like to be called Sid. Sid. There's a crime writer called Sid. Is it Sid, Sid Moore? Yeah, yeah, there is. Great name, yeah. I think. It's a terrific, terrific yeah. name. Yes, it's it's really interesting. Do you think that, though, William? Because Alex Cupidy is is a really unusual name. Where did that come from? Well, I went through this, this phase of picking names from uh, people who tried to friend me on Facebook because it was just like generate, <laughs> oh a, a random name generator. and I, People I didn't know, and this guy called Richard Cupidy tried to friend me, and I thought, don't know you, but I'll have your name. And so I, I made the character, which was only going to be a secondary character name, and I realised this is a catastrophic mistake. Because <laughs> the question I'm always asked, I mean, you're always asked, presumably, you know, what's going to happen to Ruth and, and, and Nelson, but I'm always asked, how do you pronounce Cupidy? Because people can't get their head around it. Now, yes. I don't really know. And as a reader, it's never bothered me that I don't know how to pronounce somebody's name. Although I've just said it, it's Cupidy. That's how it's in my head. But I think a complicated name for a, a last name is good for it's memorable. But it's not so good for a main character where people have to repeat it a lot. So I'm I kind of regret it. how to pronounce Clough. That's the second most common thing I've Is asked. it? Yes. But I was going to say that coming from an Italian background, one of the things that I'm socially conditioned to do is to react to people with vowels at the end of their name. Oh. Like Cupid and think, oh, they must be Italian. And, you know, when we were young and watching a TV program, we'd watch to the end to see if there were any Italians in it. You know, and then, then we, we're free to like. But so Cupid is not Italian. No, you know? married an Italian. Well, you don't yeah. know. Oh, I was going to yeah, say. Because yeah, actually, uh, yeah, um, her last name's actually Brain. Well, of but course. Anyway. Yes, we're not oh, like, yes, of course. Yes, yes, of course. I don't but, know if you caught that whisper, but it's a little bit of a spoiler. Spoiler. Um, but I, I, I was just thinking that we, the original person, who I won't repeat because you might get, I don't know if you have somebody writing in and saying, you've got my name, now I want lots of money. Um might have been Italian, one guess, one wonders. One, Ricardo. I think so, yeah. 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 Yes, interesting. Well, I think it's a great name. I mean, to me, it's obviously Cupidy, but then again, you know. Um, some, some people fear on the Cupidy. Yeah, I was going to say Cupidy might yeah. be. Uh, but yeah. in, in Italian, the stress is really, really important, actually. And I, think mm. it, I think it would be Cupidy, I think. Ah, yes, okay. Yes. Um, Yes, it's a really... It, names are so interesting, aren't they? They carry so much, don't they? They do they really carry do. so much. And you don't... Like, I have I would never use my children's names or anything like that, but I, you do end up using names of people who know. In fact, David Brown is named after a friend of mine. It's called David Brown, but he doesn't seem to mind too much. But, yeah, sometimes you... And also the, the rhythm, you know, Harbin Decor, it's got to have a... You know, names that you want to stick around, they've got to have that kind of rhythm, haven't they? Do you know, they've got to be something that's going to... Be that has a little sort of, and they're, they're they're also absolutely baggage they carry around class and era. Right. Yes, exactly. You know, you can't have a, a Kylie who was born in 1932, for example. No. Well, not in Britain anyway. Um, I love that in the Brighton mysteries, having you know lots of Jones and uh, Enids and things like mm. that is really fun. Terrific names, Ada. As well. Yes, and I know a lot of them have come back and are quite trendy now, aren't they? But yes. some some of them kind of haven't, and I. Uh, that that's really fun to think of. Yes, about. Enid hasn't, has the it? Names of great aunts. Great names. It's yes, kind of what you want. Yes, yeah. Mavis. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, unfortunately, uh, I think it's aunts at our age, but still. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've got a lovely aunt called Marge, Marjorie, and so many people our age have an aunt Marge, don't they? It's, it's a kind of aunt name. So, gosh, where are we? We, we wandered off, but I knew we would do this, and that's absolutely fine. 
Do you always like your characters? Leslie, do you always like Stella? Does it matter? I don't know that I ever think about that. It's an interesting one because, and people, these are one of the questions we do get asked, isn't it? And, and that thing of would you like to have a cup of tea with, you know, whoever? Um, and I think probably the answer is no to for virtually everybody I've ever written. Um, you wouldn't about, want to have no. a cup of tea. <laughs> I don't think so. But I mean, it depends what the cup of tea was for, I suppose. But um, Jackie could have a cup of tea. I'd have there. a cup of tea with Jackie, yeah, actually. She'd that, be and, really yeah, nice. and actually, Jackie is my safe space, if you like. Safe. Oh. I th- I, personally, when I read a novel, and I'm always suggesting to people they write the novel they want to read if they're planning to write a novel. Um, I need a safe space. I need somewhere where... You, I mean, I remember talking to this, talking to you about this, um, William. In one of the books, um, it's a Breen and Toza book, they end up in the farm in Devon. Oh, when they go to the farm, yeah, yes. Yeah, and it's just a lovely moment when they're just in this farm. I think there's a fire and everything. And I just felt myself sit back and relax as if I had just done a long walk and arrived. I think you need somewhere, then it all goes a little bit different, doesn't it? Well, we won't go there. (laughs) (laughs) But even though it did go different, I totally agree with you. That is a, it's a breathe moment, isn't it? It is a breathe moment. And so Jackie would be, yes, I like Jackie. And uh, if they go round to Jackie's for supper and there's a smell of roast chicken as you walk in and everybody's sitting in the kitchen and they've all got drinks. She's got a lovely family home. Yes, Yes. and she's happily married and... Uh, it's not all completely wonderful, but it is fine. It's not, you know, yeah. it's a normal sort of, not normal in that sense, but the, the unhappinesses are not, they're kind of workaday rather than tragic and traumatic. And I just feel that the reader needs some of that because this reader does. Um, but otherwise, I would find both Jack, I mean, I just feel I'd, I'd, I'm more psychologically switched on than either Jack, Jack, Jack or Stella. And so they would, I would be kind of like, yeah, but what about how you really feel? Or how come you did that? And uh, at the end, I'd be asking her about her spreadsheets because she's a lot better at it than me, I guess. But um, so like really doesn't, I don't think it's like. No. I love writing about them. Yes, that's that's so interesting. It's so different. What about you, William? Would you have a cup of tea with Alex or or Jill? I think she'd be quite an irritating neighbour. Um, Alex, <laughs> uh, I, I think I think you'd like her as a neighbour because obviously she'd keep the burglars away. Yes, um, that yes, kind she's of, tough. You know, yes, she, she'd, um, but uh, she wouldn't want to join the community association or anything like that because she's a bit bit um, sulky like that. But I'd love to ne- live next to Zoe. She would be a bundle of fun. She would. You know, be fun. irritates the hell out of her mum, but she'd be in everything. And I think that'd be really nice. I think that'd be a good good one to have. How's about Ruth? Could you would you like her as a neighbour? Um, yeah, I think she would be an okay neighbour, and I think I could definitely have. Um, a cup of tea with her or a glass of wine. She quite often has a glass of wine. <laughs> People say she she's always eating pasta and drinking wine. I think I wonder why that is. Um, but she's not me. And, you know, quite often people say, is she you? And I would certainly say of Ruth and Nelson, I'm more like Nelson. Oh, you know, that's interesting. Definitely. Yeah. Driver. Driver. <laughs> I do like to drive fast. <laughs> My dad was a racing driver. Um, so, you know, uh, Ruth's an atheist and I'm not. She's an archaeologist and I'm not. She's an academic and I'm not. You know, whereas Nelson is, is um, you know, a lapsed Catholic like me who likes driving fast. So, you know, there are some, certainly some elements there. I think I would find Ruth, sometimes I do find Ruth a bit annoying. You know, sometimes she feels a bit passive to me. But then again, I admire that. Every time I write the words Ruth said nothing I think wow Ruth because but that's powerful isn't it it is because if somebody was writing my you know life story they'd never say Dom said nothing (laughs) that just wouldn't happen well that's very useful on the podcast (laughs) well it it is yes you wouldn't you see if 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 Ruth were were presenting this podcast she'd be sitting here in sort of enigmatic silence and that'd be quite annoying I used to be a journalist and I used to know this guy his name was Jim Shelley and he was painfully shy and he used to do the best interviews because people he'd just be silent and people would suddenly begin to talk and I used to tell him the most amazing stuff I could never do that feel the vacuum I'd be be far more like uh, you and less like Ruth (laughs) That's so great. Oh, Listen, me too. we haven't got that much time, so I'm going to do the, the reader questions in a second. But before we do that, I just want to ask you both what you're working on at the moment. William, where are you? And also tell us the last book that came out and what you're working on now. Well, I decided to take a little break from detective fiction and write um, some contemporary thrillers because I used to love reading thrillers when I was a teenage boy. So sort of slightly sort of actiony thrillers. And I wrote one that was kind of set on a super yacht called Dead Rich, which is full of full of all sorts. It's very opposite. To, to Dungeness. It's, it's great guys. though. It's oh really, my God. Thank brilliant. you very much. And, yes. and um, so I'm writing another thriller. They and asked me to that, do another one. William, sorry to interrupt. You wrote that under a slightly different name, didn't you? Yeah, G.W. Shaw. I kind of wanted to put a little bit of separation behind it. Uh, and then, so I'm writing another one of those which is called The Conspirators which is is uh, about a, a, um, 
a out-of-work uh, interpreter who suddenly finds himself working for an organised crime syndicate. Oh, my goodness. That's that lovely, sounds yeah. brilliant. Yes, and what a great does. title again. Dead Rich is fantastic, guys. It, it, it is. It is like sort of, you know, uh, uh, in some ways an old-fashioned uh, um, thriller, but but also really, really contemporary. Yeah, and if it's you've brilliant. never been on a super yacht, just buy the book and read it. You don't have to go anywhere else. No, that's You're right. You're in it. Go super yacht, much. the comfort of your, your own home. Yes. Leslie, where are you at? I'm at um, The Mystery of Yew Tree House, which is another Jack and Stella story. Great title. Um, well, I can't, I can't take any credit for any of my titles, I don't think. Oh, yes, no, I can. The Companion was mine. I think that's about the only one. Companion's a really great book and a really creepy planned. old title. Yes, well, I, that's pretty much the only one I've ever... I mean, you came up with The Death Chamber. I did. I think I was going to call it something very... Um, t- t- uh, a death something. No, it wasn't even... Anyway, it doesn't... A burial chamber, that's right, which is kind of dry and rather... Anyway, um, and yes, and then my publishers came up with The Mystery of Yew Tree House. And it's a um, Jack and Stella? So Jack and Stella, they go on holiday for a month in Sussex. And uh, the idea being that this month in the country with his two children, he's got twins, aged six, that this will be a chance for Stella to finally decide if she will live with them. And he, he only has his children part-time, but nevertheless, they're obviously very present and will this work? If the month in the country works, then they will live together. So Ooh. that's kind of hanging there as, you know, and she's taken, I don't know if either of you two as parents ever read Jean Piaget. Uh, my mum did because she did a psychology course. But anyway, he wrote about, you know, children and the psychology of children in the Ooh. 60s. I think he wrote French, obviously. Um, and she, in ta- classic Stella fashion, has looked up on the she's internet. She's prepped, yes. She's <laughs> prepped. So yes. she's got her Piaget book with her, which, of course, is absolutely no help to her whatsoever when there's a, a body found in a pillbox, which is at the end of the garden. Um, if any, uh, well, we're all come, we've all come up from Sussex today, but there's a lot of these pillboxes in which the home guard and um, people from on the home front occupied, ready to shoot Germans when they arrived. Nazis, I should say. So that's what I'm doing at the moment. Oh, it sounds fantastic. Did you find it easy to slip back into them after The Companion? You've taken a bit of a break from them. Was it hard to, to find your thread? No, actually. Um, it wasn't. It's funny, really. I, I don't know. I mean, it's funny. We've been talking about the fact you can't picture characters and wouldn't want cups of tea with them and all that sort of <laughs> thing. And uh, yet... It was like an old sock. Well, perhaps not an old sock. That's not very enticing, is it? <laughs> Buy this old sock. <laughs> yes. yes. A comfortable jumper. All good bookshops. Is, uh, yeah, but uh, yeah, just their dynamics just came back straight away. I don't know. I mean, just to say very quickly, do you guys find that? Because you've both taken breaks from what, well, you certainly you at the moment, William, but you too. I always Ellie. worry it won't come back, you know, the right. world. and mm. the, But I have always found that it did. And like, we've all done this now, haven't we? Sort of broken and had standalone. So my last book was Bleeding Heart Yard. And so the next one will be the next Ruth and Nelson. And there is a, a sort of sense of, oh, great, we're back here again in this world, which I have always felt every time. What about you, William? I'm about to do it. So I'll tell you in a few weeks. I yes. don't really know. It's, I'm just about to leave one and start go back to Dungeon X, which I'm Hooray. very much looking forward to doing. But yeah, slightly, well, not hooray, sli- at this sense. stage, slightly worried about that whether you can, whether it'll, you know, you can go back to it easily. But I'll tell you, I think you will. I think go, you will go right back into it. Hello there, it's me, Ellie Griffiths, interrupting myself to say that if you're enjoying this episode of the Plot Thickens, you might also like my newsletter. Each month, you'll get email updates about new book announcements and exclusive content and offers. And my kitten Pip might just pop up every now and again. If you're on this list, you're guaranteed to be the first to find out any big news. So get subscribing via the link in the podcast description. Now, back to the episode. So let us ask some of these questions. These are questions for me, I have to say, most of them, apart from one which I'll ask at the end, which we can all answer. So um, let's let's start with them now. Leslie, would you mind asking the first one? Yes. Say um, say who asked I shall. It's Charlotte Wilson, giving Charlotte Wilson a big shout out. How did you develop Nelson's family? Wow, this is a really interesting question. Thank you, Charlotte. Because so Nelson, um, he he has a mother and two older sisters, and and that they're originally Irish, and the sisters are called Gronya and Maeve, and uh, the mother is Maureen. Uh, I always knew that Nelson would have an Irish background, which sort of explains his Catholicism as well. Um, and I and I kind of killed off his father. His father died when he was young because I thought that that would kind of explain quite a lot of Nelson, really. Uh, and also that he was the only boy. He's kind of his mother's favourite, but she'd never admit it because she's not one of those people who admits such things 
things or talks about feelings to herself. But I think the fact that he has two older sisters and, and a very forceful mother explains why he is very drawn to uh, strong women. And which explains his marriage to Michelle and, and also explains he, he, why he is so attracted to Ruth. So I think that's where that came from. But I have really enjoyed developing the character of Maureen, actually, who uh, who's come to the fore in, in recent books, because uh, I do kind of love her, I have to say. No, oh, she's great, I think. So I've got a question from Jerry Vermont. Um, and this is a wonderful question, actually. Have you envisaged what Kate's future might be? Jerry, that's such a good question. Uh, so Kate is Ruth's daughter. Um, do you know, I haven't particularly. And in a way, she's she's 12 now. And of course, we've just been talking about Alex's daughter Zoe growing up and what her next stage is going to be. And maybe I sort of haven't thought about it because I don't want to think about her growing up. Interesting idea, really. But I think just because, as with one's own children, you know, I have two children, you don't want to project what you want them to do, do you? So I don't want to give uh, uh, Kate, you know, a future that would be her being an archaeologist or, or, or a police officer. So I have a feeling that she will do something that will surprise and maybe shock both Ruth and Nelson. At the moment, she wants to be an actor, which I think would be a good, it's something that I wanted to be, I have to say. So um, I think she just will do something surprising. That's where I'm going with that one. Thanks, Jerry. Okay. Um, I've got a question from Karen Augustson McAdams. I hope I've done, I've spelt or, or even pronounced Augustson right. Augustson, Augustson. Um, Karen wants to know, I keep wondering if there's a backstory about child abductions and why they figure so prominently in your books. Wow, thanks, Karen, for that question. Um, you know, until you asked it, I hadn't realised they did feature prominently in my books, which is a little bit worrying, actually. Uh, and, and no backstory as far as I'm concerned. And I think... Um, the only reason that the first book, Crossing Places, starts with a child abduction is because really um, I had the idea of of a sort of Bronze Age child. Um, actually, she's Iron Age, an Iron Age a skeleton being found on on the marshes. So that's really where that came from, or why a child fe- features in those books. So uh, no, I don't know really. And uh, have you either of you had a child abduction in either any of your books or? No, I haven't. And it's a, obviously a thing that's going to ter- terrify any parent reading yes, it, isn't it? it so is. it's a great sort of bit of tension. Yes, yes, it is. And, and I think maybe, you know, cuts into something atavistic in us, you know, that that's the thing we all fear. So um, I hope they don't feature too much in my books. But it's interesting that you, you, you know, over a series of books, you, you, there's these psychological things that obviously are digging away at you that yes. recur. Definitely, you know, definitely, yeah. definitely. And, and people going missing and things like that do feature and re-feature in my books, definitely, yeah. Yes, there's, there's children, I think, go missing. I, I picture a snowy street in Brighton at one point. Yeah, that's in uh, that's Smoke and Mirrors. Smoke and Mirrors, that's right. Which is the second uh, Brighton mystery. It's very, um, very dramatic and, and a very vivid book. And it's actually, I know we don't have favourites, one of my favourites of my books, because I think the plot works really well in it. And, I, and it, there's a background of a pantomime, which, uh, you know, I'm quite proud of that pantomime. So, yeah, it's very uh, well. I think it's very it's very dramatic. And actually, my cousin Tasmin Wheeler grew up in a, a street a couple of streets along and said the whole thing was very believable oh, to her. Oh wow! Well, she just felt she was there. Oh, that's lovely, Tasmin. Thank you. But it, it is a street near where I used to live, actually, in Kemp Town. Ah. And my sister Sheila actually worked at Southdown Garage, which comes into it. I've got a question here, and you'll have to forgive me if I get the name wrong. I think it's Helleth Roberts Jones. It's obviously a, a Welsh name. Is it Heather, Heleth or Helen? Anyway, please. Forgive me. One of them's right, I hope. Um, and she's got a fascinating question. Was there a link between Nelson's mother wearing a purple cloak or shawl and Cathbad wearing a purple cloak? Ooh. They're quite deep, these readers of oh, yours. That's they such are, a good question. They? And I should know how to yes. pronounce that name as somebody who is partly Welsh because um, Ellen Griffiths is my grandmother's name and she was Welsh. Um, do you know what? I hadn't even noticed that. Um, but uh, there must be, mustn't there? Uh, there must when be. When I uh, had a chat uh, on one of the podcasts with uh, Mick Heron, we were talking about this, how the fact is when you're writing a book, you never think, oh, there are themes, do you? Or, or you know, visual themes or visual metaphors. But then actually other people point them out and they are there. Um, and they, and I, they are there and they're there. You must have put them there for a reason, even if you don't know what it was. Definitely. And I, I do, Purple Cloak um, does feature in... Um, 
the book set in Walsingham, The Woman in Blue, because when I was researching that book and I was in Walsingham, I saw a woman priest dressed completely in purple, which, of course, is the colour of bishops. And at the time, women weren't allowed to be bishops. And I thought, what a thing to be at Walsingham dressed completely in purple. So I think purple features in my books possibly because it is uh, the colour of, of a priest's vestments and Catholicism is a reoccurring thing in my books. And uh, so it's a kind of also emperor, Roman emperor. Um, but but I think it is the priestly purple. That also, features. there's a um, uh, Nelson against all odds ends up having a an affinity with Cathbad. Yes, yes. And although he's cross about, you know, finds his mother annoying, he's also obviously got definitely got an affinity with her. Um, so you know, I mean, Maybe one they... can read things into it, but. And in fact, Cathbad gets on really well with, with, with Nelson's mum the one time they do meet. Rather to Nelson's annoyance, they get on very, very well, partly because they're from the same part of Ireland. So, you know, um, Helleth, I think you've, you've, got, you've found something there, definitely. And also, I mean, you, you, you ought to be going on a quiz because who's the name of that uh, English literature professor who does books on Professor John somebody, I think Sutherland? Sutherland, yes. And he, he's done books like, you know, An Intermediary and then the, the, of Jane Austen, for example. And I remember my mum being very proud of my mum because when she was reading it, she was a massive fan. She knew what scarf somebody was going to wow. buy from somewhere wow. in Emma. And I think that Heleth or Heleth is, is in that yes, league, absolutely. I'd say. she really is. Fantastic. <laughs> yes. Right. Is there time? Yes, a time for a few more. So, Leslie, I think yours is... is Michael. Yeah, Michael John Sims. Hello. Um, Michael wants to know, will there be a standalone book about Cathbad? Hi, Michael. And Michael is, is somebody that I know well. So it's uh, lovely to have a question from you. Um, I don't know. It's possible is, is the answer to that. Will there be a standalone book about Cathbad? There is a new Cathbad short story in the special edition of The Crossing Places has just come out. Uh, Quirkus, my publishers, have produced a beautiful special edition of The Cross Crossing Places. It's always been my ambition to have sprayed edges, you know, coloured edges, and this has beautiful red edges. And it does contain a new short story about Cathbad. And writing that, even though I said, I think, earlier in our chat with Leslie and William, that it was quite hard to write about Cathbad, um, I... Uh, Really enjoyed writing that. So I'm not going to say never about a standalone book about Cathbad. Mm -hmm. So I've got a question from Jane Collins. I felt the, the characters, Phil and Shona, worked really well because we all have those friends and <laughs> colleagues in our lives, the manager you resent and the friend who you wonder what you have in common with and their child doesn't like your child. <laughs> Did you consciously write them out when Ruth took over as head of department? Oh, Jane, that's such a great uh, question and really comes back to something that William was saying during this chat about sometimes you have to have characters who are an irritant. For, for someone else and Phil kind of is that boss maybe that we've all had who maybe doesn't appreciate uh, Ruth as he should and is more concerned with his own profile than hers and Shona is that friend of yours who says things like like that that scene we were talking about with, with Jill and Alex um, you know that's the spirit or you know uh, yes uh, I, I'm sure you know it's it's nice to look like that I mean it make you immediately go home and change you know so she's that friend who always makes you feel a bit bad about yourself so I think it's fun to have characters who do get our hackles up but I haven't written them out and um, they do appear in uh, The Last Remains book 15 <laughs> pretty much with, with Shona appearing um, when a certain bit of bad news comes to her and she immediately turns up saying to, to Ruth I'm so so sorry in that very over the top way that's a little bit annoying so they're not written out and they do appear and actually funnily enough think about point of view there's one moment in I think it's The Lantern Men where I give Phil, it's the only time he's ever had a, a piece, it's only a couple of paragraphs in his point of view. And when I'd written that point of view, I immediately understood him better. Wow. And now I like him. So have you Ooh. guys ever done that? Ever done a point of view for somebody in... It's taken me ages to break out of my, my, you know, into multiple point of views, the subtlety of doing it and not letting it take over. And it does tell you something. It's true. I'm trying to think of an occasion. It is, but, but you know, I, it's, it's a real power that you have, isn't it, to be able to dip in for a little bit, but not let them take over. How's about you, Leslie? Yeah, um, I'm thinking immediately what came to mind is in The Dog Walker, there's um, first person inter interspersed with the rest of the narrative, oh, yes. which is otherwise Jack and Stella, who is the murderer. Yes. Uh, and I, I didn't do too much of that because that, going back to that thing of re write what you like to read, because I can't really bear to inhabit the murderer in a book for too long. So there's no more than two pages each time. But I can't say it made me like them better, but it certainly made me understand them. 
Really interesting. Though, obviously, I have written from the point of view of a badger. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and I very much like the badger by the end of it. Yeah. 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 William yeah. is the only. I'm going to go out there and say the only crime writer who's written a book from the point of view of a badger, and he ends up the book, doesn't he? Say he does. It's the wonderful last, last, last line. little, um, you know, sign off comes from the badger. But yeah, is I that mean, Gravesend? Yes, correct. Yeah. Very good points, yeah, points, do, points. I'm doing well on William's titles. I love that title. It's so clever. Yeah, right. my editor thought of that. There you go. I'm yeah, with you on yeah. that, Yeah, no, they're pretty good, these editors. <laughs> Leslie, there's a last one here. Yeah, um, which is, snap on glasses, um, will Ruth get the happy ending she deserves? Oh. And that's from Kathy Walker. Sorry, yes, yeah. it's Kathy. <laughs> Kathy, I couldn't possibly tell you. That's the end of that. But thank you for asking the question. But you will find out, I think, a certain conclusion to a certain part of Ruth's story, you'll find that out in The Last Remains, which is out next February. And I've just finished writing it. So I've got a last question, which I'm going to to, to ask us all. And this is from Paul Kay, who, who's uh, somebody we all know um, from, from Harrogate. We've all had, mm. had drinks with him and chatted with him at, at Harrogate. So hi, Paul. And hi. he says, if you met someone who hadn't read your books, how, in one sentence, would you capture their engagement and introduce them to your series and characters? So one sentence to draw people into your books. What do you think? Who wants to go first with that? I never want to go first with questions like that. <laughs> I That's know. so hard. Oh, oh, so hard. Yeah, yeah, give you a bit of breathing space. Leslie, That's the elevator go. pitch, as they always call it, don't they? Um, I would say the edge of the seat, scary and suspenseful, laced with humour. Well, I mm. would totally agree with that. Well very, done, Leslie. Very, William? And, and amazing characters as yes. well. Um, I would say, if it's like the Dungeness series, I would say it's all about the place. It's all about the place. And if you if you want to imagine being in Dungeness and imagine the characters that would come out of a place like that, just follow that thread. Fantastic. Well, that's yeah, brilliant. Yeah, very good. So if I was talking about the Ruth books, I might say... Uh, Forensic archaeologist digs down through the layers and uh, comes to some surprising conclusions. That's where I'm going to leave. And damn good. Thank you. And so to you (laughs) too as well. Thank you. It's been so much fun. It's been lovely chatting to you. Thank you. And everybody go out and buy books by the amazing William Shaw and Leslie Thompson. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to The Plot Thickens this week. And a big thank you to Leslie and William for joining me. I had the best time. As you know, The Last Remains is the last book in the Dr. Ruth Galloway series, for now. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a rating or review. Better still, tell a friend about it. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter at Ellie Griffiths. The Last Remains is out now at all major retailers. I can't wait to hear what you think. This podcast was produced by Joe Conlon at Carmelite Studios for Quercus Books. And the production coordinator was Hannah Corse.